You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. On today's show, we'll be talking about some games played, followed by some games that we're looking forward to, and a new segment, a designer interview with Max Holiday. Then we'll give to you our top three favorite area control slash majority games. This is episode 28. And we are your hosts. I'm Brandon. I'm Christo. I'm Justine. Recently, I had a request that I knew was coming at some point. The request, can we play games that aren't new every single time we play games? I really love that idea because I really like older games and I don't think they're worse. I think I've talked about it before. I wish we actually came back and played kind of older kind of even games that we've previously played just kind of revisit them actually um as we talked about last show uh, i had the opportunity to kind of maybe replay some lesserta games like the gallerist which i hadn't played in six months and it was kind of really fun actually yeah Yeah, so sorry go ahead justine I think it's a, I mean, it's a thing, like we want to always experience like the new games and even games that aren't necessarily newly designed, but games that are new to us, but it can get really bad reading or learning new rule after new rule after new rule set. Um, I know it makes Matt really grumpy. Yeah, that was the the request was that not necessarily new games like, you know, came out this year, just like not playing games that are new to them. This is a, a a small family group that I've been playing games with. The only people I could play games with these days. And, you know, I'm bombarding them with new game after new game so I can have content for the show. And that was their request. So uh, how I came to an agreement with them is that I said, how about we play two games in a row? We play once a week. So I was like, we'll play. I'll introduce a new game to you guys. We'll play it. Then next week we'll play it again. And then, and they seemed happy with that. I like revisiting games. And when we were playing together as a group consistently, I, I felt like we were getting some older games played every once in a while, but it's kind of the nature of, I guess, I mean, it might be a lot of different groups, but our group definitely, we are always buying games. So we're always playing new games or new to us. And I could I could get how it could be stressful. The problem with that, with doing that with casual gamers, is they're spending half the game figuring out the rules while I'm already doing my strategy from turn one. And it doesn't really feel fair. Yeah, I can understand that. Actually, another benefit of revisiting games is learning rules that you've gotten wrong. Uh, I was really surprised I played Tolkien like 20 times. Um, I was playing one of the spaces completely wrong, actually like to my detriment kind of wrong. Uh, Very surprised to hear uh, just kind of revisiting old rules uh, and just kind of accidentally. Actually, this one wasn't revisiting old rules. It was just people telling me it's, it's wrong. Uh, but actually, uh, do you know, I think, I don't know if we've played this correctly in Ra, I recently wanted to replay Ra, so I reread the rules. 
the disaster tiles actually remove two tiles, not one, so it makes them a lot worse. I'm not sure if we've been playing that correctly. No. Um, it, it would make the game kind of even more rough than it already is. No. I think we were previously doing we're, one for we're one. We were doing one. Yeah, we were doing one for yeah. one. Yeah, so they, they destroy two tiles. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's really bad. Yeah, that could change the game pretty yeah. significantly. Yeah. Yeah, so it kind of changes the game and it kind of fixes maybe you've played the game wrong previously. Not super wrong, but you've missed something small, but it's just significant enough like that. So kind of interesting. Yeah, that's assuming that the person is going to reread the rules for an older game. I mean, if, if it's been a long time, you have to, but I don't know when the last time I read Lorenzo was, but I seriously doubt we're getting anything wrong in that game up to yeah, this point. Yeah. That's probably fine. Yeah. All right. Well, we've played some games, and Justine is going to start us off. So speaking of new games, I was able to play The Magnificent this week. Um, so this The Magnificent is a game. It's by the same people as Santa Maria. They, um, It's a dice drafter. It's really cool. I only had a chance to play it once. I want to play it two-player with just Matt at some point, and maybe I can talk a little bit more about it then. But basically, you the theme's not there. The theme is that you're putting on a show with magicians. I, I don't know. The theme's not really there, but the whole gameplay mechanism is really cool. You're dice drafting. The higher the dice you draft, the more powerful actions you're going to be able to do. But the, at the end of the round, you're going to have to pay a higher price for those. Um, there's three different colors of dice. They do different things. Um, it's I don't want to get too much into the mechanisms, but it's a really fun game. I would definitely recommend picking it up if you liked Santa Maria and if you like dice drafters because they do some really cool, interesting things with that idea. I really like Santa Maria. I have... Uh, the Magnificent uh, back ordered because it's along with something that hasn't come out yet. Uh, how yeah. close uh, mechanisms wise, how close is it to Santa Maria? Um, I mean, I can see the DNA. Like there's definitely some things that are similar, but it's not the same. So you're drafting, it's played in three rounds. You're drafting four dice per round. Um, and the dice have different colors. You can do different things with them. You can travel, you can build tents, and you can put on shows. Building tents is very uh, Santa Maria-y in that you've got a grid that you're trying to cover up, but you're not like trying to run buildings or anything like that. Um, and then, so you've got cards, and you put a dice on each card. Each card has like a one-time benefit, but then at the end of the round, you're going to be scoring one of your cards. Yeah, uh, I was actually in the game. Uh, I would say actually the game kind of has more uh, in common with uh, things like Trismegistus is actually what it reminded me of. I would call it like a Trismegistus light even. Um, maybe, I don't know, people disagree, but that's kind of thinking about it. That's what it reminded me of. Santa Maria has this very unique thing of activating the buildings with dice. That's super unique to it. And that's like completely not there in 
uh whatever it's called uh, the magnificent the magnificent yeah the magnificent is more more about just kind of like uh doing actually kind of recipe stuff with dice and uh doing these circular kind of pushes so because of the recipe style stuff the tiles exist but the tiles are kind of a minor part of the game i feel actually not so minor but they are just kind of there the recipe stuff is why it reminds me kind of draft dice to fulfill recipes of uh, trismegistus because trismegistus is kind of recipes as well um, and you kind of get the resources through weird mechanisms. But overall, really positive impression of the game, actually. I think it's a really good game. Um, the theme actually kind of is okay for, like, a dice drafting game. I mean, how much theme can you have in a dice drafting game? Think of, like, other dice drafting games, like Coimbra and um, Castles of Burgundy. Like, is the theme really there? It's just kind of a thing. I think it's there enough. It's It's fun. It's a good game. Um, yeah, I, I think it's a great game. I definitely recommend it. And the art is fantastic. I wish they went a little bit further because so they've got on the posters that you're putting out of the, the magicians that are coming, they've got different pictures, but there's only like three different pictures. And it's actually kind of irritating because you're one of your scoring opportunities is either magicians of the same name or magicians of the different name. But even magicians with different names will have the same picture because they're the oh, same color of magician. I, that yeah. to me seems a little irritating. But I, I wish they were the same color but a different picture. Like they have animals in the middle or something or just symbols. They just needed to make kind of more distinct difference, I think. That's yeah. kind of a miss. I agree. I wonder if they wanted, like, because the art's neat. The pictures are neat. I wonder if there was just too much they couldn't come up with different enough art for all the different names so in that case i probably would have gone with like symbols instead of the neat pictures but i think it's really good awesome yeah i'm looking forward to it uh so i only got to play one game this week um but it was a game that we were talking about last show a game that's been out of print for a while a game that came out in 2013 from stefan feld and Z-Man Games, and that's Bruges. Um, Justine and Matt were kind enough to let me uh, possess this game. And I will say I was pleasantly surprised by how much I actually like this game. The first time I played it, it was in a busy coffee shop, um, and maybe that affected it, and I just felt that it was okay. But after playing it this last time, I actually really like it. It has something in games that I actually really enjoy, and that's multi-use cards. I think that that opens up your decision-making. It it makes really tough decisions because every single card in your hand could potentially be really good for you. A brief overview of the game. You roll some dice. They're colored dice. These dice are going to do two things for you right in the beginning. It's going to indicate what disasters might come out to everybody. Very reminiscent of older Steffenfeld games where there's, I call them uh, disaster preparation games. This one isn't so bad though, but if there's a six or a five rolled of any color, you're going to get um, threat tokens that are of that color. And they represent different things too, uh, thematically. If you ever get three of those, which complete a circle because they're like little, like partly pie 
style pieces, uh, then you're going to suffer that those consequences. And each one has different consequences. But you could always deal with those in different ways. So fives and sixes are going to give you those. Ones and twos, the sums of those dice are going to be the price of moving up on this reputation track that's going to give you points at the end and maybe a majority. And everybody goes around and decides if they want to pay that to move up. Then the rest of the game is you're playing cards. Now, the cards are different colors and the cards associate with the dice as well. But each card has, I think, six different actions on them and a person on them. So the way you could play it is I could discard a card and get two meeples of that color. Meeples are used for various things. You kind of, it's almost like a resource, these meeples. You spend them to do various things. Or you can discard the card to get money equal to that color card that's associated with that colored dice. So if there's a six yellow rolled and you have a, a yellow card, then you could discard it and get six coins, which is pretty good. Then you could also build a building. So the flip side of all these cards are building. And that color, you would have to discard a color of that meeple to build a building. And what do you do with buildings? Well, they score a point at the end of the game. It's a Steffenfeld game, so point salad is definitely present in this game. But it also allows you to play a person on top of that. You pay the indicated amount of money on the card and you play the person, which essentially turns the game into an engine building game because these people sometimes will be a reaction to something. When this happens, then you get this. Or you can discard a meeple and do the action on it. But they're free actions that you can do before or after you play a card. So you could trigger a whole bunch of these people and have a really big turn. And at the end of the game, you're scoring points from all kinds of various places. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was super fun. I think it has a lot of replayability. I don't know why it became unavailable and out of print. It came out in 2013, and it looks like in 2021, we're getting a reprint with a different theme. Well, a different city, Hamburg. Uh, but I was really happy to play this, and I want to thank Matt and Justine on air for uh, letting me get that opportunity again. So, really stoked about Bruges. You guys, it's not your favorite Steffenfeld game, is that correct, Justine? Yeah. Um, I Matt really doesn't like it. I think it's <laughs> fine. I, I think it's a fine game, but it's not one of those games that I would like jump at the opportunity to play. Um, when I was looking at my shelf as we were talking about it last week or last episode, like I realized we have all of our games um, organized by uh, designer and we have a Feld shelf and it's so full that Bruges got pushed off because whenever we think of like, oh, I want to play a Feld game, that's not even in our top like 10 of his games. I don't even know if he's designed 10 games. It's I think it's fine. And like, I mean, if other people wanted to play it, I would play it, but it's never going to be a game I personally want to like pull out and play. Yeah. Uh, I wonder if part of the appeal is the game is rare. So you feel like it's like a special opportunity when you play it and when you have 
but maybe that's missing. Um, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I need to maybe play it again because Brandon's positive thoughts on it. Uh, not sure if I'd play it like from what I remember over th something like Bora Bora, even though Bora Bora is like more available, way more available. Um, so yeah, it may be like the rarity of it is part of the appeal. Speaking of which, are you ready to fork out uh, 200 bucks, Brandon? For there's a brand new copy in Shrink and at BG, I was looking at the market uh, for $90 bargain and the expansion also another 100 on top of that. Do you like it that much or probably not? Well, I, I own it now, so I don't need yeah. to. Brandon owns it. So oh, it. you sold it. I actually thought it was a borrow situation. I didn't catch catch that. Okay, cool. No, I yeah, I was. we were going to sell it probably at like the next SaltCon, but I decided I'd rather have someone. Someone in the group. It. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we were actually funnily enough talking about uh, Winter Circle yesterday with uh, mm -hmm. the Reiner and uh, the yeah the hilarious thing is I thought the same thing I'll sell it to someone in the group and they moved away so now now I can't play Winter Circle anymore. Did you get <laughs> so rid of it? Sad, but huh? Did you get rid of it? Uh, yes, I did sell it uh, to our friend Jeremy. He oh away, yeah, so. that's right. That's yeah. right. We played it before he left that's too, and I would have bought it actually yep. after we one, played it one final time. Yeah, <laughs> it was. I I, I actually kind of like that game. Um, yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. I I don't I I'm wondering. Do you think Hamburg will actually lessen the value of Bruges? Is it a collector's thing where people are like, you can't get Bruges, and now with Hamburg coming out, you'll never you now know it's solidified. You will never see Bruges again. Or is people like, I want to play the mechanisms now. I don't care that that Bruges doesn't exist because we have it in Hamburg. I actually kind of secretly hope for maybe a 10th anniversary edition or something because it's still, I think, popular depending on Hamburg interest might renew in it and stuff. We might see a Kickstarter that's kind of just wild guess or maybe not. Maybe I'm just completely wrong. My prediction is, is people are not going to care about Bruges after Hamburg comes out. That's what it's I was thinking. kind of the same thing. Um, Matt and I have been trying to get our hands on Macau forever and we haven't been able to find a copy of it anywhere, used, whatever. I mean, there's like one in the SaltCon library, but it's not for sale. And now all of a sudden we're seeing them pop up for like $75 on uh, board game exchanging websites and stuff. And we thought about going out and buying one and we're like, wait a minute. No, <laughs> we're not paying that much for a game that's coming out. So is that is that yeah, what's going to be Amsterdam? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say you guys believe in later game is better. I'm actually not super sold on that concept, not, but not know. later game is better, but later game is good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't have to spend extra on the original. I I get that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they don't change a thing about it except for art and theme. You know. Yeah. Maybe it's true. It, it, it's unlikely that they won't change anything about the rules, but that maybe. But they I might have a line the rules a little bit. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. They might do that. I I have a rule, two rules with board games. One, I don't just sell games because they're at high price. If I like the game, it's staying in my collection no matter what. And two, I never sell gifts. So Bruges is staying in my collection, like probably forever. 
And I, yeah. I like the game. But I noticed that with, with casual gamers, this multi-use card thing, however really cool to seasoned gamers, really rough with new players. Yep. Really confusing for them that, that every single card does the same exact thing, but because of the color, it's going to be worth different things. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. It can be tough. Yeah. Uh, I think multi-use cards are really difficult to explain to people that are new to gaming because it's not straightforward and they just open up like many decision trees you can uh, take. And that's just kind of overwhelming, I think, for a lot of people. It's kind of like it explodes your head, like kind of locks you up. What should I do? Because there's so many things you could do or they just don't get it or yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that's Bruges. Uh, Fristo, I actually think with a second play of this, you would like it more. I mean, it it hmm. feels like a game you would like because of the engine building, because of the combos yeah, you could pull yeah. off, the multi-use cards, all of that. But we'll see yeah. someday. Maybe maybe same thing as you. I played it kind of in a coffee sh- coffee shop setting, and I'm not sure if the game was super explained super well. I just don't remember that too was much. A, I remember actually yeah. overall liking it. I just wasn't super sure about it at that time. Yeah, same here. I think uh, reading the rules, I was like, I don't know if we did that when we played. You know, like there was some maybe yeah. catches, but yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anyway, uh, I played... Downforce this past two weeks or something. Um, actually, it's been like a really kind of crazy obsession. Um, I kind of filled up my evenings playing a lot of Downforce over the last couple of weeks. I was looking at my profile today, and uh, believe it or not, I've played Downforce 103 times. Whoa. Pretty Th- crazy, right? This was a game that you did work so hot on, I remember. <laughs> yeah no actually that's why that's why i I want to talk about it because it's kind of surprised so the way the game kind of started and i think actually a lot of us felt that way is uh it was kind of okay but kind of just really weird maybe kind of slightly disappointment to a lot of people just kind of like meh i think was the feeling when we played the game uh and actually i just wanted to try it because i i was wondering if the game's kind of broken actually with the yes. way the game kind of goes like the person the who owns the game is is it the yeah, person yeah. who owns the leader car wins every time yes that's what i was wondering if it's broken um so the way what the game is downforce is uh it's actually it looks like a racing game which is actually very deceptive because it's not a racing game it kind of uh there it looks like i guess formula d or something which makes you think it's like oh yeah fun times and you just push your car to the front and you win and gg uh except uh, Downforce is actually a racing game, but it's also a betting game. And the betting game is actually way more important than the racing game. Um, you could actually completely lose the racing game and win the game by betting on the correct winner, which is very interesting. And that's why I thought it was kind of broken is basically the game forces you to bet kind of very early on in the game. There's kind of three betting opportunities, one in the very kind of beginning-ish, one in the middle, one at the end. And the one at the beginning is worth the most points. So you better get that one right, basically. And what was happening in our games that we've played, I think we've played it two times, is uh, someone would cross the line, which forces the bet. 
and people would bet on them and they would bet on themselves and you get additional like money i guess the theme is like you're getting you invest in cars at the beginning through an auction then you bet and then you win money from your bets and from placements on the podium um so people would bet on the leader and the leader would win they would bet on themselves and they would just win harder because they bet on themselves and they would just basically win the game um this unfortunately is kind of i think a group think situation um and i've re experimented a lot with just different things over those games uh i just kind of wanted to test basically if that's broken and actually i'm happy to say that it's not broken um it is kind of a group thing thing and actually it's kind of i'd say infuriating sometimes when multiple people kind of bet on the same car because there's a mechanism where you can push other people's cars basically the system of the uh, movement of cards is you play a card and the card has numbers and the numbers are um, or lines with numbers and uh, colors and uh, the the numbers basically everyone's moving at one's car so you can actually play a card that has someone else's color in a number and they move that many spaces so if you bet on a car you're pushing it forward hopefully but you're also pushing yourself so it's kind of an interesting kind of push and pull mechanic where you want to place highly but you also want your bet to place even higher probably because it's worth more uh, so anyway, if multiple people kind of bet on the leader and you bet on someone else, it's a really bad time, kind of depressing because three people are pushing the same car and you're pushing something else. But uh, I think if everyone kind of has the mentality of uh, just kind of betting on playing to win, basically, is a big deal in that game. Because I think the biggest thing is to recognize that if you bet on the leader and they bet on themselves, they're going to win. So you should not bet on the leader, really, if you want to win the game. Um, if you go for second place, the game completely breaks. And I think that's what was happening kind of in our games. Uh, but I think if you play to win, it's a really good game. Um, it is kind of weird. It's a very strange game because it's very scary uh, to bet on someone who's behind because they're behind and it's a race and you're like, well, I'm betting on someone who's currently losing. Uh, but I think uh, the strategy kind of really started clicking after like 15, 20 games for me. Uh, basically, it's all about kind of which colors are kind of allied with your car because you're going to play those cards probably anyway. So the perfect situation is if you don't believe you're going to win by just you not having the right colors for your car in your hand and other people are not going to help you, you bet on probably whoever you can push with your cards that you have. I don't know if I'm explaining the game very well, but um, also the fascinating thing is the, the auction at the beginning. There's an auction for first place who goes first in the game which is kind of huge there's auction for these superpowers which for us they were super in inconsequential but the more you play the game the more it just kind of becomes like every matters i've lost entire games like really badly because of one it's like not being able to finish by one space at the end and it's just like crazy so i think like it it's a very strange game it's a very strange game it probably shows its age it's a restoration game um games game i'm not sure what when the original was but it almost reminds me of kind of like an 18xx system where you're kind of investing shares in someone else's company it's all hidden and downforce though so you don't know what the alliances are but you must 
start telling after the second bet people start really pushing the people that they bet on um kind of very fascinating game uh there's a lot of really kind of thematic things like um you can kind of fake it at the beginning if you have really high cards you can play them and just be like yeah i'm winning and everyone bets on you but you actually bet on someone else and uh you kind of stall because you played all your cards and then you start pushing the other card and they win and everyone's screwed because they bet on you and you're losing so it has all these like really weird interesting mechanics which i think we probably kind of didn't really appreciate over the last uh, over the the tunes we played the game um also there's an expansion with really interesting tracks uh there's a with like jumps there's a uh, track with uh, some obstacles that kind of slow you down there's actually a track which is not implemented on board game arena where i play the game with animals uh which i'm really interested in trying but actually i think it's a really cool game um after playing it uh, so much sometimes it's extremely depressing if you're alone and there's some kind of alliance which is kind of overwhelming but still pretty fun to play i'd say um even if it's kind of futile sometimes uh, because of that, I think it's why I'm saying is it kind of shows its age. But overall, actually, I've really enjoyed uh, my plays of it, obviously, as shown by me playing it 100 times, which is insane. So that's Downforce. Yeah, the original game was actually Top Race from 1996, and it was actually a Wolfgang, Wolfgang Kramer game. Cool. Yeah, but Rob Davio did the the updated version yeah i'm not sure how much they really changed it's a very simple game maybe they introduced the powers or something but yeah i don't know it's it's great game um okay so the other game i was able to play was um another new game sonora finally got the name right i've been calling it solano the whole time <laughs> um, so sonora is a flick and write so we're really familiar with roll and write and flip and write. This is a flick and write. So um, in the box is a board with raised edges. And you take turns with your opponents flicking discs into the middle. Each disc has a number on it. And that's kind of like the power of the disc. And depending on what segment of the board it lands on, it's going to allow you to do things on your score sheet. Um, you've got like the, the canyon, which lets you, um, I can't remember what all the different parts are called. There's the birds, the foxes, the bunnies and owls, owls. Yeah. So you've got the foxes and that's like an area control race game where you're trying to fill in spots first. You've got, uh, the foxes where you're trying it's kind of like Tetris you're filling in blocks trying to surround cactuses to get points your birds you're traveling down the river crossing out circles and then the owls is um, filling in uh, or no the bunnies is filling in um, circles to try and surround other kinds of cactuses uh, I mean, the theme is like desert animals. It's kind of cool. Um, but I think the gameplay is really fun. The idea of having some control over what you get in a roll and write or a flip and write, I think is really neat. 
Um, the fact that it's not based on your score sheet isn't paper. It's actually like a, a wipeable kind of whiteboard type stuff. That's really neat because I always like worry about running out of score sheets for our paper-based score things. Um, and then I've ended up, this was a game I was able to play two player a whole bunch and then four player once. Four player it gets crazy and insane and there's barely any room for your disc to land. Two player it gets really cutthroat. Uh, when Matt and I play it basically my mission is to make sure Matt gets no extra bonuses. So it doesn't matter what I'm going for if he lands in like a little bonus circle. My job is to get his disc flicked out of that bonus circle. Uh, and it seems to work. So it's a really fun it it's a fun take on the whole i guess and right genre to me <laughs> and right genre no actually i played the game really cool i think i really like the being able to control basically instead of dice just being rolled to you you control your destiny kind of by flicking uh kind of mixed feelings because of justine's uh, kind of comment on take that they introduce us take that then because what i was able to do in my game is kind of ruin people's lives to score better for myself which was kind of funny but uh yeah the in interesting mechanic to be able to like uh, control your inputs for a roll and write but also kind of rough as far as maybe you don't get what you actually wanted yeah uh yeah. it's it's um if you are a really good flicker. You have all the control in the world. However, you don't have control over other players. But yeah, I think that there's not a bad spot on the board. There's not something that you go on and you, and you have to like, like really take anything minus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just like maybe not uh, working for your strategy. So yeah, I think that well, take that is but yeah. yeah. Um, so I've, I've played this game solo only and the solo game is weird. I don't know if you looked into it, Justine, but the solo game, no. you're flicking all discs. You're flicking 15 discs. I think of three different colors. <laughs> you're choosing one to be like your opponent at the end of no, 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 no. One color is going to be your opponent all the time. The other one is going to be you're going to pick between the two colors what you score and the other one's just taken off the board. So it's really strange that you have control over the the person doing bad to you. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. Yeah. And you're playing I, yourself. Yeah. <laughs> and I and and it it's really just a practice in flicking really well. Yeah. Because you yeah. if if something goes wrong it's because of you. But I found myself using one color to knock my other colors into good spots if I didn't get it the first time, you know? Uh-huh. And even using the, the bad opponent pieces to do the same thing. Really odd. I don't know if I like the solo game, but I got an idea of how the game works, so I'm looking forward yeah. to playing it with more people. I think it's probably, in my um, prediction, I, it's maybe better as a two-player Four just seems like it'd be chaos. I don't know. Yeah, it gets really chaotic at four. Hmm. And, oh, I was going to say one tip. If you buy it and you read the rules, 
I made the mistake of reading the rules with Matt sitting right there. So while I was reading, he was practicing flicking. That's a bad <laughs> strategy. If you're going to buy it and read the rules, don't set it up <laughs> until you're ready to play. Because if your opponent's practicing flicking the whole time, you're at a disadvantage. Then don't don't also teach the game with the pieces out. Because people do the same thing when you're teaching a dexterity game. They're flicking the yeah. entire time you're teaching. Um, actually, an, of an, an annoyance of mine, even though they might be paying attention, I feel like they're not. So it's like messing with my teach, you know? Yeah, definitely. We turn into kids when we get like dexterity pieces in front of us, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, no, it was kind of funny when we were playing the game. We kind of started flicking just chaotically just because for fun. It's, it's fun, fun to flick. I took the pieces away from you guys at some point while I was teaching. Yeah, yeah so that's getting really irritated. I was getting chaotic. Yeah. I was like, yeah, flicking. That happens every time we bring out ice anyway. school. Right when the pieces come out, before <laughs> setup is even done, people are just flicking those penguins like crazy. Yeah. yeah. You're just like, uh, no. <laughs> anyway, Brandon, you don't have a second game, right? No. All right. Uh, this week I played a game on Board Game Arena, actually just yesterday, I played it three times now, called Chakra. I was just kind of curious, kind of cutesy theme, it kind of reminded me of Lotus actually, and oddly enough there is actually a Lotus in the middle, I'm not sure if it's by the same company or anything. Uh, pretty interesting game, instantly by reading the rules I got kind of vibes of Azul. Uh, Draft, it's a drafting kind of colors game. The theme is really kind of strange, but it kind of appeals to me. I really kind of have a sweet spot for those kind of um, games. The theme is you're trying to balance your chakras by filling them with the right energies and harmonize your chakras is the terminology. There's a lot of weird terminology, and you're trying to ground the band energy. Basically, there's this kind of track on the side of the board, and you're trying to draft the right colors and then move them to the right kind of circles. Um, in kind of um, basically like a linear track on the right. Like I say, very reminiscent of Azul because you take uh, colors and actually kind of reminiscent of Stained Glass of Sintra because there's kind of wild, but the wilds are actually bad in Chakra. And if you're taking colors, you're forced to take one wild exactly, kind of like, uh, not wild, one bad, uh, it's called pod negative energy um, in addition to that. Anyway, um, the game is really actually kind of interesting. Um, I think a lot of, I was looking at BG reviews, a lot of people kind of dismissed it as, oh, just kind of like another simple game, kind of huge luck of the draw, whatever. I think it's actually a very kind of fascinating optimization puzzle. Um, I don't think the game is so scripted, so to speak. Um, there's a very interesting kind of action, action not action efficiency, but... Um, you can lock up actions basically by, and it kind of hurts your action efficiency by taking colors and putting pushing them kind of more further into your um, energy flow track or whatever. I don't know if that's making sense, but basically you can kind of hurt yourself to by by making yourself have fewer actions in the future by inserting energies kind of like deeper into your chakras or whatever if that makes sense by kind of so it's it's a weird kind of not super clear what the best move really is even long term um 
so it, it's kind of this weird game of like you draft once maybe two or three times and then you just kind of fiddle you have these actions on your board to move things up and down so it kind of becomes a solitary like game with the occasional draft and it's a race game so whoever kind of well it's it's a race game for the game end so the game ends when someone's harmonized uh, five chakras on the right but um whoever wins actually is by points and there's interesting mechanics to even turn the negative energy into positive if you grounded it there's kind of a huge end game bonus for just kind of having the best alignment or whatever they call it kind of the best kind of it it's very clever basically i don't know if the the explanation is making a lot of sense but i thought the design was actually really clever um i'd say i even like it better than azul even though it's not really the same game i think it's not really going to appeal to the same people but it's kind of very reminiscent to me of something like azul with some just kind of action optimization decisions i think every decision is interesting every decision matters i can see how the game could kind of become samey after a while but overall pretty fun for a light game so that's chakra and actually i wanted to talk about one last thing which i think all of us will be involved in uh this last week i tried to play tournament at camelot with uh, justine mass uh, one of our friends me and I thought it was going to be really cool and everyone's going to like it, but people are just like really upset and just kind of like, well, this game sucks. I don't want to play it anymore. So we actually quit because I think people are really having fun with the game. And it kind of started making me think like, are we wrong, Brandon, for liking this game? The complaints were basically that uh, uh, it's very non-traditional, which I agree with. Uh, it's not a traditional trick-taking game it's kind of trick-taking inspired i'd say i was actually looking at bgg about people who have similarly complained and yeah uh, people say it's kind of like uh trick-taking munchkin which i can kind of see maybe it's also cosmic encounter in the trick-taking format which i also kind of agree it's like super wild super whiplash comeback mechanics uh just insane okay. swings just crazy things People have ridiculous powers, uh, very trolly. So yeah, I think... Uh, Can I jump in and explain my issues with the game? Yeah. So I wanted to like this game. I almost convinced Matt to buy it like a year ago because I got sucked in by the box, by the fact that it was trick-taking and the, um, the art style. I will say that. I love the art style, the art, the, and like a variable player power trick taking game. Holy moly. That's really cool. What is this? <laughs> like, and okay. So I don't want to yuck anybody's yum to steal a, one of Brandon's phrases because I feel really strongly that like no one's wrong for liking this game. Um, I'd, I think I can see how it could be fun, but for me, I guess, like, I just kind of, I grew up playing trick-taking games. Um, I really like spades and hearts. Um, and to me, this strips out some of the coolest mechanisms for trick-taking games. So one of the things right off the bat is um, they added wild cards. Like, wild cards in a trick-taking game, how cool is that? Oh, but you can only use them in very specific circumstances. Okay, so never mind. Um, sloughing, which is to me like 
one of the things you do in a trick-taking game. Like spades is all about sloughing at the right time. Um, is that like getting rid of cards you don't want? Yeah. Uh, so pl- pl- playing out a color so that you can start getting rid of a different color yeah. by just dumping it. Yeah. And then like the biggest sin to me in any trick-taking game, and I know I'm going to get some pushback on this because people don't agree with me, is if you have a deck that's left over, I think it takes some of the magic out of a trick-taking game. Like in spades, hearts, rook, um, and then a couple others I can't think of. But in general, in trick-taking games, every card in the deck is dealt out. So you know what cards are out. If you have the jack of heart or jack of spades, you know the queen, king, and ace are out there somewhere. In this game, the deck is huge to me, like gigantic. And so you have no idea what's out there. There's multiple copies of every card. Some of them have poison on them. Um, It's just, it's chaos. And like, to me, the joy of a trick-taking game is being able to have a lot of control over what's going on. And I think that's, I don't know. But again, like, if you like this game, I have no issue with that. I think it's a fine game for other people to like. I just don't personally want to play it. Because to me, it was just an insanely frustrating experience. My yum has been well, yucked. What are you? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. I was um, say. <laughs> no, that's very interesting. These are all valid complaints. Um, I don't think I thought of any of them because I, I just, I think of this game as a, like a, this is how I think of this game. It's a party game. Like it, it has some trick taking in it, but when Christo and I played, we played with a relatively big group. There was like at least six of us and it just seemed like everybody was like laughing and, and being very vocal about their turns. And maybe it was that experience that really upped the game for me. I also played it with three players, which isn't as interesting, but that was sort of the learning game. I played it with three players first, then with the big group. Um, I, I don't know. I like this game. I think it's super fun. I, again, I haven't, I didn't think about those things that, that, um, that, that was said. So maybe I won't like it the next time I play it. I don't know. Uh, but no, (laughs) I view it as a party game that has like some light trick taking involved in it. Yeah, no, that's actually kind of my approach to it. It's not traditional. That's for sure. Like it's not one of the games where it's, uh, so yeah, interesting, but yeah, I was kind of curious what Brandon would, would say. Cause yeah, I, it's, it's weird. So my thing was, I actually had fun playing this game. Like Christo can attest. I was actually cry laughing by the time we quit because of all the bad stuff that had happened to our friend that was playing with us. Like I was laying down cry laughing, but I could see that my, he wasn't laughing. No, he wasn't (laughs) laughing and he was not, (laughs) he was not having any fun. I personally was having a great time watching him just take because he, so his power was if he, if the trick led was deception suit, he got to just ignore it. If he took it, he could say no. Delay it though. Yeah. It's going to the next person that loses. And so he did that. And then he got three Merlins in the next trick. And then he got the next trick and we all like forced him to take it. And then, and he ended up losing like 350 points in one go. Uh, And 
It was 170, not 350, but yeah, oh, it was pretty, 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 pretty bad round. Uh, I don't know if we should have probably played the game out because I, I was trying to explain that that's not the end, losing 170 points in one round, but he just wasn't convinced. I think oh, he was also no, kind no, of expecting. No. Those godsend cards. No, no, no. Because my power was I got to have a godsend card every round which is supposed to be like your saving grace, like this is going to save you if you're lowest on health. I got to have one of those every round. And after the first round, I got to have the second one because I was the lowest on the points. And neither of them did me any good. One had to do with, like arrows were positive points for me, except we didn't have any arrows that round. And one of them was I got to heal but it was like the first round and I didn't have any health loss. It was so the godsend cards can save you, but that's not like a guarantee. So the godsend like, cards yeah. are is the catch up mechanic, right? When you get low in health, now yeah. you're godsend. Yes. So but with yeah. yours, you were able to use it just like once per round. No. Her, her power is just get one. So I think her, her companion or whatever was just you have one like for every round basically yeah. a different one every round um, though right yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah i had to redraw a new one every round which sounds but bad to, to me, me because your godsend card might not work that round like you said but in yeah in following rounds it, it could actually be really beneficial to you yeah but if you're gonna say like a godsend card is like your catch-up mechanic and how you recover like that godsend card better let you recover it better not be. I think there was even one that was like, oh, take 25 points from an opponent. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, that doesn't help me at all. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. I think by take, maybe they meant like you actually heal by that much, but I'm not sure. I haven't looked at them all, really. I can't remember. No, I agree. Their situational the game definitely has a lot of luck. I mean, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. But I think it really works in kind of a broken way. That's why it kind of reminds me, actually, this Cosmic Encounter comment is really spot on. I think it's really broken, but it really kind of works if you play it out. And I think we just kind of gave up on it because Trevor wasn't convinced, and I guess no one was convinced, but whatever. It's fine. Well, I think games are supposed to be fun, and I never want to force someone to play a game that they're just not having fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I that's why I, I suggested quitting, because yeah. Trevor was just like, oh, I'm like 200 points behind in a 400-point game, game's over. Like I said, I don't think so, but he just wanted, he was, he was convinced it's over. So, yeah, I was like, yeah. Mm, okay. I just, I don't see a point in making people play a game they're not going to have fun with. Well, if you're listening, Trevor, you're wrong again. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's tournament. Come on, that's it. <laughs> All right. All right, well, that was some games played and quit. And next up will be some games we're looking forward to. All right. Um, this one, I have a game I'm looking forward to. Two that I'm suggesting to Matt and Justine. And then one, um, I'm just curious on everybody's thoughts. All right, so here they go. Arkwright, the card game. Um, I'm looking forward to this because, not because I've played Arkwright, but more because I haven't played Arkwright. And it doesn't really make sense, but I'll, I'll make sense of it. Arkwright I've looked at several times and I've really wanted to play it. Looks interesting. Looks like a game that I would like. However, although I like big, heavy long euro games 
I've realized that recently, and not even barring the pandemic, like even before that, I don't get these to the table as much. Like, um, Lishbo is one of my favorite games of all time. I cannot get that played for the life of me. It's a lot of rules. I have to reread the rules if I haven't played it in a couple months. And so Arkwright looked like that to me, that, that I would have that same problem. If, if somebody else has a copy of it and I play it, then awesome. But I cannot own it right now. But Arkwright, the card game, lessons, you know, like it does what card games do, which is kind of cut the game in half. Complexity-wise, length-wise, all of that. Maybe cutting out some of the strategic depth as well. But I'm okay with losing that to try what might be similar to Arkwright. So the next two that I want to suggest to Justine and Matt, because although one doesn't look like it might not be for me, now, Justine and Matt like uh, Pipeline. And many of you listening might also like Pipeline. So I'm suggesting Curious Cargo. I don't know if you've looked at this, Justine, but it's by Ryan Courtney. The I same, haven't. It's the same person that did Pipeline but it basically takes a lot of the ideas from Pipeline and makes it into a two-player game. Now, not exactly like Pipeline as far as what I've looked at, but similar. And I'm kind of glad they didn't call it like Pipeline the Duel, you know, because we got too many of those. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's called Curious Cargo. So maybe put that on a something you should look into. Another thing is we've played Mystery House, which Justine bought, and we thought that it was very interesting. You, It's this box, and you pull little tablets out and look inside the box, inside the, the house for different things. And it's a, it's a, uh, an escape room style game. Uh, well, they're coming out with an expansion called Back to Tombstone. So it's like a Western style theme. And I don't know how much you liked Mystery House. I know we talked about it being like it had a cool idea, but it was kind of hard to see. We had to put it up on boxes and look at it with flashlights, but. Um, um, yeah, Is so is the expansion, it's like a small box, right? It fits in with the mystery box. The, yeah, the so how I believe that they're doing expansions is they're giving you a deck of those cards. So now yeah. you have like almost like the system and now you just buy the cartridge. Yeah. And it's kind in, of like time stories a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. So you'll just insert the cards and it'll just be like a different, maybe a saloon. I didn't look into it too much. Yeah. I thought Mystery House was fun. I did. There were a couple problems with it in that you like, so it's hard to see in the box. And then like really only one person can be looking in the box at a time. Um, like if unless you have it propped up on books but then you also have to, there's a lot of communication about like what way it's going to be facing and all of that. But I really, I would probably buy expansions to mystery house and play it. I think I wouldn't do it until after we're able to get together and play it like as a group. Cause I just think that's more fun. I wouldn't like buy them and play it just with Matt, but yeah. Yeah. I think it's better with at least three to four. Yeah. I think four would probably be my no limit. Probably no more than four. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, one on each side really crowded yeah for the box has four sides so that, exactly yeah go. i think we played yeah. it with five i'm pretty sure we had one person kind of so. coming in and out of it and it was <laughs> just 
I remember it was rough because like if I was working on a puzzle that needed me to turn and somebody else was working on another puzzle that needed me to turn, you know, like it yeah. just got kind of rough there. But right. Yeah. I felt like by the end of the game, we were like, let's play the other like um, scenario it came with because yeah. I feel like by the end of the game, we sort of got what it was trying to do. And I think it would have been better the second time because the first time we were trying to figure out like, yeah. can I see this? Or am I yeah. seeing it at a wrong angle? And yeah, we, yeah. We weren't sure if you're supposed to see angles. You are actually supposed to see angles if you're listening to this. Like, they, I thought it was just straight lines and like the angles are kind of cheating. It's not. You actually are like kind of seeing to the side as a thing in the game. So, yeah. Yeah. Things like that. I think just also kind of just kind of how the game works really was kind of weird because very weird game yeah and then we just never got around to playing it again and then the pandemic hit and yeah 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 um, anyway oh sorry, the other go, one i want to ahead, talk Brandon. about or bring up is dune imperium which is from direwolf games it's a deck building worker placement game with the theme of doom on it from the creators of clank hmm doom like the sent to hell kind of doom dune dune like d-u-n-e oh, d-u-n-e okay like fremen kind of dune yeah the, okay. the book the bad movies yeah 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 so i just wanted to bring Supposed this up to be turn, tur turning into good movies hopefully in the yeah few yeah months or yeah whatever. and i, I think that's really why done. this is coming out like kind of like in hopes that it'll gain the attention of the moviegoers but I just found this to be very interesting. That's the only information it has when you go to BGG. It has simply the explanation for it, which is deck building, worker placement from the creators of Clank with the Dune theme. So I'm like really curious about this. I like Dune. I like the theme of Dune. And I do like Clank. I like both Clanks. I like Clank and Clank in space. So I'm, I'm wondering and sort of hoping because it's from the creators of Clank, and because they're stating that very clearly, that it'll be actually similar to Clank, but somehow they add in worker placement. Maybe instead of dungeon crawl, that's what you're doing in Clank, right? You're, it's a deck-building dungeon crawl game, in a sense, yeah. where you're exploring these caverns or, or spaceship, going in and out, collecting things. So I'm very curious on how they might do this in the style of Clank with worker placement instead of the kind of exploration uh, what do you guys think is is this something that's on your radar uh it wasn't on my radar but actually i'm a huge sucker for the dune universe um my feeling immediately when i hear anything about dune is please don't suck please don't suck because <laughs> it's really easy to actually get a miss in that universe it's kind of very difficult to I don't know, make a summary of it. I think it takes like 50 pages of setup for anything in Dune to make sense in the book format. So I'm a huge fan of the books. Um, I think the old movies are terrible. Um, I think actually the miniseries were kind of terrible as well. Like they just don't really hit right note for, for Dune, in my opinion. They were not like a complete disaster, but I think it's just kind of like a miss for me. So I'm really hoping the new movie is good. I'm really hoping this game is good. I really like Clank actually, so I'm really kind of excited to see what they do with it because Clank is a great game um overall so hopefully it's hopefully it's good hopefully it does the theme justice and hopefully it's like the right tone as well that's that's all 
Yeah, I agree. I th- I have high hopes for this. I haven't heard about it, but I think it should be good because like, I like Clank. I've only played Clank in space, but I like it. And I like Dune, so I don't know what could go wrong. Yeah, I like I like that in Clank in Space they give you all these tributes to sci-fi stuff. There's obvious like um, Star Wars and and even Futurama. Yeah. They have like a nibbler in there, so I think that they um, could maybe make it work. I wonder if they're going to go comedic or if they're going to go serious tone because Clank is very like whimsical, right? Yeah, but, I'm not sure how like a comedic tone would work with Dune. Right, right. Let's see. Let's yeah. see what they come up with. Just kind of curious. Yeah, uh, that that's all I got. That's the game. Some anyway. In. Um, actually, I was looking at Dark 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 the card game as well somewhere. I can't remember where, but I was like, oh yeah, for exactly the same reasons as you, Brandon. I I've thought about playing Dark but I've heard that's a nineteen eighteen round monster of optimization of economic concepts, and I'm not sure. Like in theory, it appeals to me in practice. Am I going to sit down and play like a three hour game of just pushing engines? I don't know. Uh, so I'm kind of really curious for your reasons. Maybe like a shorter game with simplified mechanics in the same kind of style would be really cool. So hopefully it's good also, hoping. Um, anyway, I'm looking forward to... Actually, I looked at uh, just the conventions that were happening previously, and this is kind of slash board game news because I don't think it's been really posted anywhere. I was looking at the BGG page for it, and I didn't even see it listed there is upcoming but uh 51st state moloch is coming up uh, an expansion which is hopefully well made supposedly already it's not shipping until 2021 oddly enough i think they're just like waiting for maybe after christmas or during christmas to ship it out or something we'll see but it's uh the weirdness about it is it's not just like another weird concept like the other expansions it's actually uh there's a game into kind of semi co-op it's kind of like the cities it reminded me of the city's mini expansion which was kind of a little bit of a disaster uh there's a thing in the middle that is a machine and moloch the army of moloch if you're into the universe whatever and you're and it's gonna attack everyone i think supposedly and because some people value their resources that it's attacking more they're interested in taking it down so that's the same like semi co-op thing uh you can also supposedly hack it and make it work for you uh so kind of like another engine for something wasn't super clear what they actually do but basically it's kind of a thing that sits in the middle and attacks everyone and we should collectively solve the problem i guess so kind of very interesting concept uh actually it was kind of funny as uh was commenting that when he heard the concept at first he wasn't sure if it was going to work he was just like "Eh, i don't know about semi-cops because he doesn't like semi-cops is what he said but then he tried it and he was like okay this actually works and that's kind of crazy so yeah i'm kind of hoping that it because i'm kind of not super sold on some semi-co-ops semi-co-ops are very kind of tricky to get right so hopefully this one is done right uh so that's 51st state moloch upcoming uh then also a part of portal con i uh, he's doing a neuroshima convoy uh digital implementation which actually is really exciting for me it's a two-player game which kind of is I'm not sure if anyone would really play it with me, which is kind of sad because it's a very weird one. Maybe like 
after the pandemic if uh, I go to play early with Brandon or something or I don't know I guess we could actually get it played somewhere but um, I'm, I'd probably be very interested in playing this like on my phone or whatever uh, it's a very simple tug of war game kind of like um, in the style of those games where there's three cards in the middle and you fight over control of them but actually there's five cards in the middle and you fight uh, for control over them by just, like placing cards on your side next to each one except this one there's a convoy moving from left to right um, I'm not sure what the theme is again it's in the Neuroshima uh, universe so uh, there's a convoy moving and you're trying to basically control the cities that the convoy is moving through and I think the cities progressively get kind of closed from left to right. So the game kind of gets compressed towards the final city, which is kind of the showdown, I guess. So you just put in like robots and they call, uh, or just not robots, they, uh, again, mutants, robots, people, depending on what you're playing. And they fight each other and things happen and there's huge combos because it's an Ignacy game. And yeah, so I'm excited for Neuroshima Convoy Digital, which is supposedly coming on September something, which if I forgot the date, sorry, but uh, it's supposedly thematic because that's when Moloch attacks in the universe of Hiroshima is like uh, September whatever 2020. So it's like, it's like a meta, uh, whatever it's called, real life kind of, um, kind of nod to the universe, I guess. So release date is on that day. day. So yeah, that's it. That's what I have. Um, is this Nuroshimo game? Is it only cards? Yeah, it's cards and I guess like five tiles, but they might as well be cards. So yeah, it's just cards and five tiles and some tokens to put on the cards. There's like uh, where the convoy is and like control tokens for. I think there's two or three cities on each card, if I remember correctly, or something. Actually, there's not just one city. Missed I opportunity. Think. They could have called it Nuroshimo decks. Get it? Huh? They could have called Actually. it Nurashimo Dex instead of Hex. Never mind. Bad joke. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I made at least one person giggle other than myself. No, no, I, I, I get it now, but yeah, the bad. I, I don't think <laughs> yeah. of these games as kind of like the pun type of game, so it just kind of didn't even register to me. It's just like, what? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that was some games that we're looking forward to. So up next is our designer interview. All right. So we're throwing in um, a new segment and it's going to happen sporadically um, when it's able to happen. We're going to we're going to interview different people within the industry. And this time we're we're going to interview designer Max Holiday. We're going to get him in, on the line right now. All right, so we got Max Holiday on the line. He is the owner and co-creator of Ginger Ale Games, which published Bring Out Your Dead alongside with Upper Deck Games. And he's the designer of Eaten by Zombies. Uh, thanks, Max, for coming on. Hi, thanks for having me. How are things going? Things are going great. We're, oh. Well, beyond the standard, things are awful this year, but <laughs> beyond that, it's pretty good. I'm a little wary of asking that question nowadays, but, but. <laughs> try to stay positive. That's all I can say to anybody this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
So we, uh, uh, Cards and Cubes kind of wrote down a bunch of questions that we're curious on asking you. Before we get into those, I've had something on my mind recently as far as like movies and music and anything creative and especially board games. Like during these times where you have to like kind of isolate yourself, do you think that it's giving you more time to design games or is it kind of like messing with that flow? Um, to be honest, it's a little bit of both. It's kind of messing with my flow because I like to play test. Right. Like right. I like, I like play testing other people's games and a huge part of my personal development of a game is play testing, getting other people's feedback. Um, but on the other hand, I've got more design sitting on my plate right now than I've probably ever had. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's so, that's what I was hoping comes from all this. I'm hoping that a lot of designers are doing what you're doing and kind of brainstorming on ideas. Yeah. All right, so let's jump in these questions. Let's start with like, what was your experience playing games growing up? Uh, for the most part, as a kid, the same as everybody else, the family played Monopoly and all of that garbage. Um, <laughs> but uh, really, when I was a kid, um, I was designing games. Like, I'd find games that didn't have all the pieces, and I'd just invent my own. Oh, nice. So this was... That were, like, the first seeds planted of your designing career. Yeah, it was It was a complete um, circle. When I hit my late 20s and started designing games, it was like being a little kid again. Oh, that's awesome. Um, did you play these made-up games with your family? I tried to. Um, but not really. Uh, they weren't, they weren't heavy into games. Um, gaming really kind of took off in my teenage years, uh, with my cousins, my immediate family still don't really play board games. So. Gotcha. Uh, so what, what type of games do you typically like playing? Like, do you, do you lean towards like Euro games or dungeon crawl or party games? Oh, I'm Euro trash through and through. Um, give me a good dry worker placement and I'm happy. <laughs> You're on the right show. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's all of our jam as well. Um, so what, uh, I guess you sort of answered this question, what got you into game design? I guess you started as a kid, but maybe what got you into it as far as like thinking of it as an actual career? Well, um, I kind of haphazardly fell into it. Um, I was teaching at a college and I was teaching 3D animation. I was a 3D animator for about eight, eight or nine years. And I was teaching and the school needed me to transition into uh, web and print and things like that to teach classes. And so I'm kind of uh, prismatic where, uh, that's not the right word, um, pragmatic. <laughs> kind of pragmatic where I like to have projects in order to learn new tasks. So I started designing Eaten by Zombies really to teach myself 2D um, illustration and print and things like that. And when I took it to my first convention, um, Mayday Games picked it up and said that they really liked it and that they needed a graphic designer to work on all their other games. So I kind of just fell into it really. 
So it was it was graphic design that really got you into designing games? Yeah. Yeah, it's one of those things where I haven't designed a lot of games, but I've worked on over 30 published games, which is a lot for almost anybody in the industry. Right, right. Yeah, we were seeing that you were involved in art just as much as designs for a lot of games. Um, so with that said, can you talk a little bit about how the artist and the game designer interact, and if all at all? Or uh, like, does the designer have any influence on the art style, and how much? It really depends on um, who who eventually publishes the game. If it's an individual who's self-publishing their own game, they take on the role as creative director and have to direct the art style. But usually if you go through an established publisher, it's not necessarily... There isn't a lot of back and forth there just because the publisher has their own art style that they want to maintain between all of their product line. Um, but that also depends on the publisher. I can't tell you 100% what every publisher does as far as how that interaction goes. Right, right, yeah, situational. So in some yeah. cases, you might get a game published from a publisher that just takes it on from there, and now you're just hoping for the best that they do right by you um in a lot of ways yeah that that happens a lot um a couple games that i've sent off and publishers have picked up and have yet to materialize um you really just have no idea what they're doing they send you updates so you get to see what's going on and you can tell them if you like something or don't like something but ultimately once you sign that contract for them to publish your game it's really up to them to try to promote it and market it the way they see fit to try to sell it as best they can. Right, right. So there's some pros and cons, right? Like you don't have to yeah. worry about it anymore. However, the creative control is now not there anymore. Yeah, and that's not to say that a publisher just ignores everything you have to say and ignores your input. Very few publishers operate that way. Um, but they have final say once it becomes a product that they're investing money into. Right, right. Now you talked about playtesting earlier, how you like playtesting your games and other people's games. So how do you go about that process? Do you playtest like yourself with people or what's the percentage of each approximately? Like um, how do you find people willing to playtest? Well, that's usually the hardest part because, um, there are people who love to play published games and there are people who love to play anything. And they're not exactly spread out 50-50. Um, I have some cousins who love to play my my prototypes and I have a couple of cousins who just refuse to play anything until it's published. And I think gamers in general kind of fall into those categories. So finding people to play test is usually... Um, done through online groups um, or through conventions. There's uh, a game designers guild here in Utah that meets at several different stores all over the valley all the way up to I think Layton is the farthest north and I think Provo is the farthest south. Um, and they meet specifically just to play test each other's games. And that's a great resource. Um, I've met some of my best gaming friends through that group so 
as it, far as finding playtesters, that's the way to go. And these these playtesters are also designers too, right? So they're going to get pretty critical about the game, give you some feedback. A lot of times, um, I'm actually kind of surprised. A lot of the people who started the Game Designers Guild of Utah um, have never published a game and have no interest in doing so. But they're some of the best playtesters we have. And um, so, yeah, it's they're not all designers. A lot of them just want to be part of that process, but they don't have any interest in manning the ship, as it were. I gotcha. I'm getting a game published. Now, once you uh, playtest the game and you get some kinks worked out of it and you get a publisher, now the publisher is also going to playtest it, right, when they make adjustments to it? Yes, they go, they go through playtesting. I, I kind of prefer to call it development at that point. Okay. Um, because what they're looking at is they're looking at playtesting a game and then finding out what they can do to tweak it to sell it. They're no longer just tweaking it to make the game better. They're making the game uh, a product. Right. So right. I call it development. Uh, when I worked for TMG, that was a lot of what we did with games was we developed content for the game in order to run um, better Kickstarters. So a lot of games came in very bare bones, great games. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't have picked them up. But then we developed them to produce additional content in order to make them sell better, basically. I see. So and, almost a, almost a marketing at the same time as developing, right? Yeah, exactly. So have you dropped game ideas because they sounded great on paper but just weren't fun to play when you actually tried them? Yeah, uh, a ton. I've actually got one that it's still sitting on my desk that I keep looking at it going, you should be fun. I don't know why you're not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it's kind of an interesting dice game where you roll the dice and then everybody gets to pick what they want out of the resources on the dice, but whoever rolled gets to take everything. And then you buy character cards that give you advantages and give you abilities and things like that. And I called it Witch's Brew. And it sounds it sounds fun in my head, but every time I brought it to the table, everybody's just kind of like, eh? I see. Yeah. So do you... So you haven't completely dropped, like you haven't thrown it in the garbage. It's just, it's, it's sitting there on the back burn, like just waiting to that kind of light bulb moment to happen and, and say, okay, now I know how to fix it. Right. Yeah. There's very few games that I ever completely throw out. Um, I've got games that are almost 10 years old that I still have the prototype sitting there waiting for them to, manifest into something great but they're just not doing it on their own <laughs> i see i see have you been working on a game and go wait 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 i know the perfect mechanism to throw in this it's from this game that's on the back burn and now that game becomes obsolete and it merges with another game um yeah i think that happens i think that happens to every designer um Really, when you're developing a game, you start with a really rudimentary idea and then it grows and becomes more complicated. 
and a lot of times those complications that you bring into the game to make it more interesting are because you're sitting there playing something and you go, oh, wait, that's a good idea. Why didn't I think of that? Right, right. So I realize that this is probably situational, but mm-hmm. what do you typically think of first when you're designing a game? Is it like you think of a cool theme that you're interested in, or is it that you are working on a mechanism, and then once that's complete, you think about what the, the, what the best theme would fit with the game afterward? Well, I think, I think every game starts with a theme and a basic mechanic and evolves from almost a 50-50 split of those two. So, like, take uh, Eaten by Zombies was always... I played Dominion. I loved Dominion. It, it scratched that magic itch that I didn't want to spend money on anymore. And I decided I wanted to design something like Dominion. Well, I love zombie movies. So why don't I build a zombie Dominion game? And that's where Eaten by Zombies came from. Um, and then you take uh, Bring Out Your Dead, which I didn't do the design. I did development on. The original game was actually an elevator game <laughs> where you were trying to get your people into the best locations in a skyrise building. And then it ended up being trying to find, trying to get your family members into the best graves in the graveyard. (laughs) And it (laughs) went through several, it went through several themes and that was just the one that we ended up sticking with, even though right now that's probably not the best theme. Um, I still enjoy the game. I enjoy the theme, although I personally like horror-esque type themes. And uh, you as a designer and developer have actually kind of catered to that with, with those <laughs> those two games. Um, what? So do you have a favorite convention that you like introducing a new game design to? Like if I was a brand new designer and I came to you and asked you, like, what convention should I should I show my game at? What What would you suggest? Um, whichever convention you can get to. Okay. (laughs) To be honest, um, there's a group called uh, Double Exposure Envoy, and they specialize in exposing new games to the marketplace Mm -hmm. at at conventions. So if you get a hold of them, they can actually demo your game at conventions and then get you feedback. So you you don't have to actually go to the convention. They can actually do it for you. And they'll go to several conventions? Yeah, they go to Gen Con, Salt Con. I think they go to the New York Toy Fair, maybe. I could be wrong on that. Um, But they go to C2E2, um, uh, Board Game Geek Con. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of what the Dice Tower one is. I think it's just Dice Tower Con. Oh, they have Dice Tower West and Dice Tower East now, right? Yeah, that's what I was... Um, but yeah, they go to all of them and they're really good guys and gals and they do all kinds of games and do all kinds of stuff. And they work with, they actually work with publishers to, um, get staffing to demo games for established publishers, but they also can do it for designers and, um, like if you're looking to kickstart your game in the next few months, they can help you get it out to conventions. So really the best conventions 
are the ones you can get to, the ones you can get your game at. Um, I'm I'm a personal fan of Gen Con, but so are a hundred thousand other people, mm-hmm. and it's kind of hard to get much exposure there. But we here in Utah, we have our Salt Con, which is a great convention and has its own room just for new designs. And that's a great resource to take advantage of if you want to show off your game and get some good feedback on your design that you're working on. And they have a lot of local um, uh, publishers that wander around and spend time in those rooms looking for new games. So it's a, it's a good place to start if you're in Utah. But really, whatever your local game convention is, go to it, find out where the um, prototype alley is, and that's where you really want to start. Nice. Okay. So you do quite a bit of things. I'm just going to name a few. You you do some 3D printing and you make components for games. You design games. You've uh, been part of the developmental aspect. You've co-published games before. You're also a gamer. What's your favorite aspect of the hobby out of all those that you've done? Um, I really like being in development. Uh, that's that's kind of where my heart lies. Like I like designing games. And I like the graphic design, and I like the gaming, and I like the playtesting. But I love taking a, I like taking a good game, and then trying to figure out how to best market it, and come up with design aesthetics and things like that. Uh, that's really the part I love the most, and that's where I get into the manufacturing. So I do the three D printing so that I can make cooler components for my games. Um and the graphic design so that I can do better layouts and icons and things like that. And and then the game design just so that I can design games. <laughs> yeah. You know, I looked into uh, developers some time ago and I realized that a lot of it is freelance, right? So I know that some publishers have like um, developers on hand, but most of it's freelance. Is that where you're at now? Um. Not really. It's where I would like to get back to. Um, I kind of stepped away a little bit a couple of years ago after Ginger Ale Games hit some financial woes. And I've been kind of rebuilding ever since then. Um, So I've been freelancing as a graphic designer for some Kickstarters, but I haven't really been doing a whole lot as far as the development goes. And what is the future for Ginger Ale Games? Are we going to see that resurface? Or is that something that's just on hold for you right now? Um, Right now, it's really on hold. Um, Me and my partner, John D., who started it with me, she's off doing um, other things. She runs Kickstarters for companies uh, like Renegade and um, Elk Creek games and she runs their kickstarters and helps other companies like smirk and dagger and a few others do their marketing and things like that so she's kind of off doing her own thing and i've kind of hit the real world i've got a day job now unfortunately unfortunately (laughs) (laughs) um so it's it's really on pause and the future of it really is uncertain we don't really know where we're going to go with it well, I'd like to personally say that I think Bring Out Your Dead is an awesome game. 
And uh, I wish you luck with Ginger Ale games because I think that was a great game to start with. And I'm looking forward to some other games that might be under that. But what's the future for Max Holiday? Like, what is there anything you want to talk about as far as anything upcoming that you're excited for? Well, um, I've got games that I'm still trying to sell. I've got one called Starship Ludum, which is a unique worker placement game that I'm trying to sell um, because I don't want to run my own Kickstarter again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's getting shopped around. But probably my next active project that people are going to be able to see is I'm working with a company called Daft Concepts that's nearby here in Salt Lake, and we're going to be doing a Kickstarter to do uh, 10 by 10 challenge boards. And I'm going to be 3D printing um, meeples to go on the challenge board, so like little rocket ships and gears and things like that. Um, that's going to be coming out in the next couple of months, probably before the end of October. Nice, nice. And that's, that's pretty exciting. Uh, yeah, I have to say, I actually playtested with you Starship Ludum, and I'm actually really excited to see uh, what this game has in store for us in the future. I can't talk too much about it because uh, you made me sign an NDA, so that's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Max, uh, so we won't take up too much of your time. Thank you for coming on. We appreciate you and what you're doing for the industry, and we wish you luck in everything. Hey, well, thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. All right, so that was our designer interview with Max Holiday. So up next will be our top three area control slash area majority games. All right, so just talking about how we made our lists, um, starting with me, I think uh, for me it was actually kind of difficult because there's a lot of area controls that I like. I'm actually still not sure. I was thinking about it. I feel very weirdly about area control games. I kind of like all of them kind of equally, I guess. So if these were kind of... I had to kind of force myself to make a top three out of it. So I have a lot of honorable mentions that are actually pretty good as well. Like, they could could have been the top three, but I guess I kind of went with a theme that I like, which is actually asymmetry. So... Um, that's, I guess, what we're going to talk about. Well, two of them are, but um, from my list. But yeah, kind of a struggle for me. The, generally, yeah, I like a lot of air controls. Um, mostly kind of the ones where you can have, uh, they're not as attrition based, actually, for me, as a huge deal, but kind of tough to make a top three out of it. Anyway, that's. Uh, I also had troubles, but it wasn't for the same reasons. I actually don't find myself playing a lot of area control games and it's not because i don't like them but it is because i'm not usually drawn to them um maybe it's i don't know looking at my list and some other uh area control games maybe it's theme that doesn't draw me in so much but um i do like them and it was hard to find three that i loved but um i did it and i'm pretty satisfied with my list yeah i I guess I kind of had a struggle with like the difference between an area control and like almost like a war game. So like one game that didn't make my list was Lords of Hellas that I love, but I was like, eh, area control is kind of just one piece of that. That was my issue. And then, yeah, I just tend to not play area controls or like them very much. Yeah. 
I almost put Lords of Hellas on my list as well. It didn't make it. And although it is a winning condition, and I do consider it partly... Spoilers. Um, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do consider it uh, like an area control game, but yeah. Uh, there was also one, and hopefully this isn't on any of your guys' honorable mentions, but Lisboa had to get not go on my list either because I felt like that was also just a small portion of the game. But yeah, that's I don't think of that as area control. I can see what you mean. It's area majority, right, but it, just just no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, it's like majority of columns and rows. I don't know. As far as yeah. points go, there. it's like a point thing. But yeah, yeah, I don't know. All right, well, let's get into our actual list. Number three. All right, my number three is Cry Havoc. Um, I still like that game um, after playing it quite a few times. Actually, I was a really a huge fan of it coming out when it came out. A lot of people weren't really sold on it, um, and I think some pe people still are not very sold on it. Uh, I think it's an asymmetric game, and it's definitely weird. Uh, and it takes, I think, a few games. It has the basically the root problem uh, where it takes kind of some games to get to know how the game works from all factions perspectives so you can actually have a good game because you know how each faction works and what the timing is and who is actually winning because sometimes it's not obvious um the game uh, actually kind of interesting background on the game since we're talking about like what you submitted to the publisher gets developed uh grant rodiak and some other people like the game was designed by three people i think if i remember correctly but grant was saying like what they submitted to the publisher ended up being really different from the final product like he was just surprised himself what they did to his game basically so just kind of we really weird development process which i think uh, maybe i can probably see how it was probably kind of yeah the game has a lot of just really weird stuff going on in it kind of really weird rules uh it has a really unique battle system which i really like the battles are kind of like a mini game uh, almost inspired by games like dune or something but uh you fight for control over the territory you fight over like uh, capturing a prisoner which is a point engine or just murdering miniatures uh, from the territory and they're different objectives so you could actually win control but lose a lot of people or you can just like murder everyone but they actually maintain control so it's like very interesting kind of system that's really what was me into it kind of some surprising cards on top of it uh kind of asymmetric factions with uh oh it's near control where you get to build buildings that's not super commonly seen because buildings make the game kind of complicated and yes they do a little bit in uh cry havoc as well but overall i really kind of enjoyed this game even with maybe what people see it as problems in it even with some weird rules and just kind of uh ambiguities that i had to clear up with bgg lengthy faq list after, even after all that i think the game is really cool i really enjoy playing it and that is cry havoc my number three I always thought that this was based on a video game, and I'm looking it up, and it's not. Well, that's the confusion. It's Crisis is what you're thinking of, and Crisis has a guy who is in like this suit, uh, power suit or whatever it's called, 
and the cover of the box has a guy in a power suit but yeah. that doesn't make a lot of sense because there's no really power suits the one of the factions is marines i guess but he doesn't even look like a marine so i have no idea what the heck the box cover really shows because it's not what's in the game in my opinion at least i mean uh, it, it doesn't really look maybe a marine or something hits a stretch uh cry havoc actually is a reference to um i think uh, julius caesar a shakespeare play cry havoc and let's slip the dogs of war that's where it comes from yeah that's strange i always thought it was based on a video game of the same name because of the box the box looks very like a, like a halo type game yeah but, yeah the box is really dumb i wish they didn't have that art it's like trying to look cool but it looks really like bad commercial first person shooter cool <laughs> it's it's no i i don't like the box design much that's probably why i haven't played it to be honest i think it was because of the box turned me off of it yeah i think it's a miss but anyway that's my number three so my number three is shogun um this is it's an older game um and it's a game that matt and i had wanted to play since we started um with board games and ended up um buying and then we never got really got around to, uh, to playing it just because it was three player um but finally we got a chance to play it and it's a really interesting um area control uh area majority game it's set in uh feudal japan and basically each player plays a warlord who is feuding with everybody else to have the most territory. Um, and so the action selection in this game is actually kind of cool. So you select based on, you select your actions on cards by having them face down. So everybody's simultaneously selecting the order they're going to do things, but um, the order that things happen. So like getting rice might be first this round, but it's not going to be first next round. That's randomized every round. Um, and it ends up with some really interesting mechanisms of like, well, I said I was going to move into this territory and battle you, but before I had the chance to do that, you moved out. Um, I always like simultaneous action selection and that kind of um, the interaction between people who are choosing to do the, th uh, the different actions. Um, I just think it's a really fun game. And then, oh, the battles are decided by throwing cubes into a tower. So that's always really fun. I like cube towers. I like Amerigo for the same reason. Um, yeah, it's always fun getting to toss a bunch of cubes into a tower and see what comes out. Yeah, I actually I played uh, Shogun as well. I thought it was kind of very interesting systems with the cube tower and that action selection thing. Really cool, kind of. That part of the game was really cool. What kind of turned me off, actually, is one thing is I felt like the board doesn't change enough. I feel like once you select your initial territories, you're kind of very, kind of, it's very, like, slow moving fronts back and forth. Um I also don't like the Eric Lang kind of like anyone can go anywhere and you can be attacked anywhere and no one is safe. So like I need like some kind of a happy medium where you're not super slowly pushing fronts back and forth, but also you can't be attacked like just anywhere really so it's kind of an interesting thing the other thing is the game went on for like three hours and i think that's just kind of ridiculous 
for the kind of game it is, but maybe that's the people I was playing with. But yeah, yeah. it can go on for a long time. You just kind of have to have a no AP rule. But I think yeah. that's almost any game. Did you guys buy this later on in your board game endeavors? Um, later on, yeah, probably like midway through. Um, because when we first started playing board games, we were really only playing with ourselves, and so buying a three-player game just didn't make any sense. But now that we started playing with other people, we ended up buying it and enjoying it. That's why I was asking, because yeah, I saw that it was a three to five player game, and I know that you guys typically played just the two of you to start with. Have any of you guys yeah. played Wallenstein? I think that was the game that came before this. Wallenstein. Wallenstein. Uh, I've I've looked at it actually because they have the same kind of cube tower tile moving action system. Basically, it's the same game really. Oh, speaking of which, I haven't played Wallenstein, but uh, I was going to talk uh, mention uh, Jeremy who moved away uh, with my winner circle. Also wanted to play Immortals, which is uh, basically Shogun times two. Two, you play two shoguns. One is a dark shogun, and one is a light shogun. And there's like a way to thematically, it's like people who die and go to the afterlife or something, and then come back alive. So it's like you can transfer people between the two dimensions, which are the same map. It just sounded really crazy. He wanted to play it with us, and actually read the complete rules for it, ready to play, and we just never played it. So it's kind of huge disappointment. But that's actually rather than Wallenstein, the one I'm probably interested in trying next, just to see what the heck they did, because it sounds really crazy. It's like play like i say two show like two dimensional shogun i guess i guess you can you can say yeah on bgg shogun is saying that it's re-implemented by immortals yes yeah. yeah all right my number three is battle for rokugan which is a it reminds me of like Stratego and the fact that you can't see the pieces being put out. You put them on borders to try to like uh, take over control of other areas, and you have um, kind of an asymmetric thing happening. And it's sort of a not back building, but you're pulling out from a, a supply of chits, and then you're drawing like five from them, and that's what you have to use during the round. Um, it's designed by Molly Grover Glover and tom jolly and it's based on the legend of the five rings world which i actually don't have any interest in and didn't realize that when i bought the game i just bought it and played it and thought it was just a really neat area control game later on found out that it lived in this world just thematically um didn't bring me into the legend of the five rings lcg whatsoever but um cool game and like uh i i like the art i like the components everything kind of comes together very nicely um a little random as far as like you, you don't know what anyone's doing and there's some weird special powers but all, overall it's uh, a really good con area control game in my opinion and that's why it's my number three battle for rokugan yeah i, I like that game actually yeah, maybe i should give it another try my impression was it's like kind of hidden bluffing a lot and that's actually yeah. a mechanic people enjoy I was not super impressed that because of that bluffing, you could be attacking the wrong person and there's a lot of hidden and you just end up attacking someone who shouldn't be or there's just a lot of like really nasty surprises in that game in general, which again, mm -hmm. a lot of people like, not sure, but maybe I should give it another try. Really cool game, I think overall concept at least.
number two. All right, my number two, and I think everyone's played this actually quite a lot, is Unish. Um, at first, I did not like this game. Uh, it's an air control in kind of a, was it Irish? Celtic? Um, I don't yeah, know. Irish. Whatever. Uh, the the uh, I actually don't know what island it's referring to, embarrassingly enough, because Inish is island in Gaelic or something. Maybe I'm like butchering all these like cultural references. But uh, so Inish is uh, an air control which is driven by a card draft, and the cards are the same every single round, and you end up with uh, what is it, five cards or four cards or six? four i don't know but then uh, you end up with uh, some cards and you kind of play them out and they're all the same and that's kind of what drives the game uh so basically the movement cards are just drafted around people the attack cards are drafted around people the expand the board cards so it's very kind of every round is kind of the same and that's actually i'm not sure i, I liked that at first i wasn't sure about the game concept overall but actually it kind of grew on me over time um, I think it's a really cool game now that I've played it like six or seven times. I don't know, maybe more. Um, it's a game which has multiple win conditions, which makes the game interesting. And they're not really obvious. It's a game where you can win the game with like three people on the board, which is kind of unique. A lot of air controls, it's kind of a disaster if you don't have board presence. In this one, it's not necessarily a disaster. It's just all about these like weird objectives. Uh, one of which is just to be present in places where there's certain buildings uh, on the board base, these kind of markers. Uh, the art is really awesome. I guess it's worth mentioning. I'm not sure who did it or anything, but it's, um, again, this kind of uh, old style of, again, I'm not sure what uh, current uh, UK... <laughs> the nation it is or whatever or uh, country it is but uh really awesome art really beautiful really kind of um, i'm not sure it's kind of maybe a miss for some people i wasn't sure if i liked the art at first either but i kind of grew it kind of grew on me similar to lishbo i wasn't sure about the art there uh very kind of peculiar uh, also the boards are very peculiar they have really uneven edges but they interlock together just fine so um Kind of a very different, I'd say, uh, area control experience. I don't know if other games have really done uh, have 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 done this. What Inish is doing with the um, kind of different win conditions and just kind of a very strange. Uh, you play kind of the same game over and over again. Uh, so that's Inish, my number two, worth looking into. I think if um, you haven't played it. Yeah, I really like Inish. I had totally, f I guess I just didn't think of it as an area control game, but it is, it's a really fun game. I um, have not played it since the bad teach. <laughs> oh no. I'm not sure what bad teach it's referring to. Hopefully not mine, but yeah. no, not yours. You don't remember this. So I got knocked off the board and we didn't realize that, that there's a condition oh, for that. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And so I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. this game no, is that, awful. That breaks, that, yeah, that breaks the whole game because a lot of the cards are weird. Like, where your present, do this. Where your yeah. present, do this. And uh, if you're not, but yeah, we missed a major role. Yeah, if you've played this game and you don't realize if someone is completely eliminated, they get 
two people wherever they want before their turn begins because otherwise they're just like not playing no like, for at all sometimes like, several they're rounds. not playing <laughs> so like 90 percent of the cards are where you're present and if you're not present anywhere they're not doing anything which is yeah really so broken. i turned down a lot of these games until you told me you might like the game because of this fix and then i just hadn't gotten a chance to play it since then but i, yeah, I would yeah. really like to play it because all i hear is great things about it yeah to be honest my first like three or four plays i still wasn't sure but then i was like oh yeah this is this is really good kind of grows on you i think there has been people um, that said that this is the perfect game design like it's designed ooh, perfectly yeah. that might be like, a, a little far it's a little king make here at the end that's my only not super appreciation of the game but yes it's a very interesting kind of no one is ever out there's always possibility to really win but you yeah it's 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 a weird game um so my number two i honestly have only played once but it's one that i want to play a lot more and that's tammany hall um so, and Brandon, you're going to have to jump in here if I'm saying things wrong. Okay. Uh, but Tammany Hall is an area control. Is it area control or area majority? I mean, the distinction's pretty. I'd say it's control. I actually, the, so speaking of which, I define control versus majority as control is more like conflict. So you can erase yeah. things, you can take away things, you can like kill people, remove them. Area majority is more like just kind of friendly who has more kind of stuff. But and usually it doesn't there's majority stuff in this as well. Yeah. Because you count for votes. You you yeah. count how many uh groups of different people. Like there's English and Irish and German and Italian and they're gonna give you some influence. Yeah. I'd say Tiny Hall is actually right in between because it does have some removal stuff, but it's not a main feature of the game. It's almost like a, an occasional thing that happens. So it's mostly majority, but you also get removed sometimes. So it's it's very fascinating. And I just love it. This is like the most cynical game you will ever play. Yeah. Because it is, it's all about manipulating the votes by changing where immigrants live in New York City. And if you know anything about the history of Tammany Hall and like, um, I think Boss Hogg was part of this. Nope, that's not right. Is it? Uh, Boss it Tweed. Is. Boss, Boss Hogg is from like Dukes of Hazard. Yeah, it's Dukes of Hazard. That's <laughs> it. Ooh, that's outdated. Whew. Uh, Boss Tweed. Like, it's just a cynical time in history, and this is one of the most cynical games you will ever play, but it's a ton of fun. Yeah, it's also my number two. Uh, this came out in 2007 from Doug Ackhart, and it's actually getting a reprint from Pandasaurus Games. So that's cool. I'll probably pick it up when it gets the reprints. I played this a few times and Justine's right. It's like super mean. And mostly I don't like that in games, but in this one, it for me, it works very well. I do like that you're, you're bidding on um, 
I do like the blind bids. I like that in games. And then uh, you are also, if you're rewarded the mayor, then you hand out these like powerful offices that are going to let you do different things in the game. I like that. I found that really interesting that you're not like drafting those, that one person is going to be that mayor. And that's pretty powerful to give out these offices to who you want and most likely, you're not going to get the office that's going to best work for you in the next round. So uh, I found this game very interesting, and I had a lot of fun playing it, even though there's going to be times where other people, when they're playing it, you might be having a good time, they might be having a terrible time, and maybe that makes you have an even better time. So that's why it's my number two. <laughs> yeah. And like, funny. You said, like you said it's super mean and i usually hate that in games i usually hate high conflict games but for some reason it just doesn't feel that mean like it doesn't feel bad it's just part of the game to yeah. be mean you have to yeah no i i get it i was actually kind of the recipient of really bad times in that game a couple of times i still like the game actually really interesting it can be really mean i agree i think uh the mayor kind of has uh, it has kind of like game theory problems with uh, everyone has to play correctly because I think the mayor should really give the best power to the person furthest behind. But there's this kind right. of like alliance mechanic. I don't know. They're like uh, like you guys say, it's very mean, uh, very kind of rough to play. It's actually an honorable mention. So for sure, a good game. I'm not going to turn out a time to play it. I got a, a proposal to play it. But yeah, kind of rough. Number one. My number one is Kemet, or Kemet, I don't know where the emphasis is. Um, this is a game where you are fighting over control of Egypt, I think. I think it's probably a province of ancient Egypt, maybe. I don't know what it stands for, actually. I probably should know because it's a really good game, and um, I've played it a few, quite a few times. Um, it's another, again, going with the theme of my asymmetric games, actually kind of very similar to Cry Havoc, I'd say, except in Cry Havoc, the asymmetry is kind of given to you on a plate. In Kemet, you are kind of getting your asymmetry slowly throughout the game. So everyone in Kemet kind of starts the same, but by acquisition of these tiles, which are really kind of technology or powers or whatever tiles you become asymmetric towards where towards the end of the game everyone is just playing kind of very differently or not very differently but they just have very different kind of things that they're good at i guess in a way um really cool concepts a lot of like neat mechanics like there's these teleportation spaces so there's these hot spots that you're fighting over so kind of multiple king of the hill situations because there's a lot of desert and it's very thematic as well because the desert kind of is boring and doesn't mean anything um so you kind of just use it as spacing between these king of the hill uh temples really is what they are that you're fighting over and um very fascinating system has the same thing as kind of the cry havoc battle system where you're fighting for not necessarily control versus there's like cards with three things and one of them is how many people get hurt the other one is what is your power so obviously it's a trade-off of do you want to control the territory or do you want to remove miniatures which sometimes you want one or the other so your attack might be very able to 
to maintain control, but hurts a lot of miniatures, and maybe that's what you want to do. Um, and then you attack again, maybe next round, and you actually win with more people. But uh, yeah, very uh, kind of uh, very similar to Inish, I'd say. There's, well, in the way that um, the game is kind of, I say should be kind of even you the game is to like 12 or something victory points uh very few victory points and you get victory points by maintaining these temples at the end of the round um so by what i'm saying is it's kind of like initiatives i think the game is kind of generally even until at the very end of the game someone can figure out some bs move to just pull ahead by getting those final like two or three points that they need which is usually what it comes down to um also has kind of the same problem of possibly kind of a little bit king makey towards the end because you attack someone and someone else maybe wins so everyone should be hyper careful about what everyone can do which again makes the game kind of challenging to play especially with new people so but i think the system is really fascinating i really like those systems even though they have significant problems as i've mentioned with especially with playing new people that's what i mean by significant problems like uh it takes five games i think for you everyone to understand the game so like we can have like one really good game but I really like it, nevertheless. I always have fun playing it. Uh, it takes a lot of getting used to the tiles and what they do and what you sh should do and what you want as an advantage. There's a really interesting also kind of a resource and action selection system in Kema. There's a pyramid of actions and you can only take, what is it, one every row or something. It's been a while actually since I've played it. Um, and then you get this kind of prayer power or whatever that you can spend spend on either those tech tiles or to recruit people so the decisions are kind of like you have limited resources so do you spend them on tech do you spend them on people do you spend them on movement or whatever so it's just kind of uh, actually movement is free but um really cool kind of some euro concepts of resource management mixed in um that's i think what appeals to me in the game so that's Kemet, my number one so my number one is a steffenfeld game it's an older steffenfeld game called rialto um, so in Rialto, you, the round starts and you have a stack of cards, um, and you kind of draft which stack of cards you're going to play with and the cards let you do certain things. The main mechanic though, is there's provinces of Venice or provinces of Rialto, sorry, that you're trying to get your counselors into. Um, they're going to score points at the end of the game based on things that come up. You put during the game, one of the actions you have is you can put bridges down in ways that are going to score you more points or your opponents less points. Um, it's just a really kind of a neat uh, trick, or not trick taking. Of course, it's not trick taking. There's nothing, I don't know why I said that. It's a neat game trying to figure out what your opponent has and what their plans are because you see the hand they're going to have at the beginning of the round. They also have some extra cards in their hand from previous rounds, but you will have seen those as well. So you kind of know what's in their hand and what's coming, but you so you have to decide how you're going to spend your cards and your actions. Um, it's just a really chilled out game. I think like Matt and I can get a game of it done in 45 minutes. Um, it's 
really relaxing, really chilled out, which never really goes along with area control and majority in my mind. Um, I'm not really relaxed when I play these other games, but this one, it's just, it's kind of fun to play cards and see how it goes. Um, yeah. So that's Rialto by Steffenfeld. Sounds really interesting. I should check it out. Actually, sounds fascinating. I like Stefan Feld games actually, and that's him. I didn't even realize he did an area control. So yeah, definitely should look at it. I've heard the name. I just never really looked into the game previously. So just Justine had mentioned like uh, area control games also being somewhat war games, and this one is that completely. Uh, so my number one is eight seven eight Vikings. Absolutely area control because that's like the con- win condition of the game. The Vikings are coming in um, to coastal areas and trying to take over particular areas of the English people. Uh, the, the, the areas are like cities. So if they get a certain amount of cities, um, then they would win the game. And then the English are trying to s- hold strong onto theirs for the remaining of the rounds. It is asymmetric and it's also a team game, although you can play this as two. Um, Hreestone, I actually played it as two. You have two factions in the Vikings, two factions in the English, and you would just play both, which is really less exciting for me. I think the game shines as a team game where you could be talking about cards and showing each other the cards and kind of trying to um, come up with the best strategy together. But also... A neat mechanism in it is that if I have my, I think they're yellow and green. I can't really remember yellow and green um, player pieces. They're actually little miniatures. Maybe it's blue. Maybe it's uh, green and blue. I think it's probably yellow and green. You're right. And then blue and red are in the lions. I think it's blue and red versus yellow and green. Yeah, I think. Red and black are the Vikings. It's been a while. Red and black are the Vikings. I think green and blue are the English. And then yellow is Maybe an extra right. faction you could put in. Anyway, um, if I have, if I'm like the green Englishman and there's at least one or more blue um, on mine, I can move the my my partner's pieces with me. So if I have presence in their area, I can move their pieces as well, which is really advantageous because the way that turns work is kind of funny. There's these colored cubes in a bag and you pull them out and that's the color as that faction goes. So if we really needed the other faction to go first uh, for various reasons to pull out or, or push in, um, you can still set up your partner. So I really like that in the game. It's card driven, so you're playing cards to move pieces and do various actions, which is mainly battle. And the battling is done with dice, and the dice are a lot more interesting than most dice driven battle games because they're not just killing people off. But if you get a flea symbol, I think I'm not sure what the the terminology, but one symbol is going to have you like run off into nowhere, like you're hidden, and you just go into this little place onto the board, and those people aren't dead. What happens is you get to seed them on the board later on. And then there's another one that lets you move to adjacent spots and then others that will actually kill and some that block. So I find this game really fun. There's also like a campaign that comes with the game and you could play different like scenarios. I haven't done that, but that always seemed like an interesting thing. There's also an expansion that came out with the game at the same time which I never got because I was a little wary about like an expansion releasing with the game 
rather than like after the game's been played and maybe you could see what people are wanting. But anyway, the right out of the box, the game is good and it's really fun to play as teams. And it's one of the only like war games, area control games that I know of that do this really well as a team game. So that's why it's my number one, eight, seven, eight Vikings. Yeah, I was going to say uh, it's a perfect replacement, or not replacement, but next step for like step into modern, more modern board gaming. If you previously liked Risk in your life, I think maybe that's why, Brandon, you like it a lot. I think you yep. said you yeah. used to play Risk a lot. I think that's like the perfect like kind of replacement for Risk maybe, or just kind of throwback almost uh very actually unique game like to brandon's point i can't think of a game where there's a lot of like these integrated team mechanics i guess maybe cerebria which i haven't played but there's not a lot of team games with uh like area control and uh i guess there's team games like arena style brawlers but that's not really the same. The way it's done here is very unique, in my opinion, and kind of very uh, cool system. I really like the running away stuff, but it is uh, an attrition dice fest game. So it's very well done. It's a really maybe the best attrition dice fest game that I've played so far or maybe seen, but it is still that which kind of makes me meh about it. I would probably play it, though, if there's four willing people. Yeah, I'd... Uh, probably play it not taking it super seriously but i think it's meant to be kind of just fun yeah yeah because there's there's still i mean the dice are i think designed really well but it's still luck of the dice which you know you could lose by no fault of your own because of bad rolls yeah. but but i think it's it, done it's really not well, that though. bad though i think it's very well balanced for what it is right. like it's really well balanced because the running away mechanic is really cool you can rebalance your people it's very like really cool uh but it is nice yeah all right so some honorable mentions i only have a couple because like i said this was hard list for me to put together but Air, uh, alien frontiers has a area control aspect to it and i do like that game although i haven't played it in a long time and cyclades which might be like if you like um if you like inish and kemet i forgot about that completely um, cyclades, yeah so cyclades would be a good one to throw in there i i really like the the you're you're bidding for these like different things and monsters that could give you different powers and i, I like that game a yeah. lot so yeah i would say i would suggest so, it to people that if they haven't played it but they've played kemet and inish that's that's a third one you need to add to that roster. Yeah, I'd say it's like an auction-driven yeah. area control, yeah. which is very weird. Usually they're kind of like action point allowance or resource-driven. This one is auction-driven area control. So very fascinating. Anything else, Brandon? No, that's it? it. That's it for me. Just those two. Oh, Justine, go ahead. Yeah, I can um, be at the end. Yeah, honorable mentions for me. I think we kind of went over them all. Uh, Lords of Hellas... Um, Inish, I had completely forgotten. I probably would have made my list, honestly, if I had remembered. But yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Um, I do have a few, actually, that I highly enjoy. Like I say, I do like my area controls. Um, so Dune uh, recently got a reprint. It used to be kind of a gem that people used to print and play in their houses on custom-made boards because of 1979 out of print or whatever. Uh, really ridiculously old game. It does show its age. Um, it is a very kind of strange game. has a really strange economy where it's kind of designed to be unfair. 
Um, but that's what kind of makes the game work. Very fascinating, very cutthroat. Some really strange uh, kind of hit bidding on cards that you don't know what you're bidding on, for example. Really just really weird system, but I think I like it. Uh, it is a very <laughs> difficult game to play because of all those things that I mentioned. Um, extremely strange game today with a lot of really harsh mechanics that you should know about. So it, again, it's one of those games where, huh, going with the theme, I really like it because it takes like five games to probably have a good game. <laughs> but it's it's fun. So Dune, um, kind of heavy as well and could go on for a while. Uh, has some downsides, like I say. No, Tyrants of the Underdark. I don't know if you anyone mentioned it. I really like that one. It's deck building kind of area control. Uh, you're kind of fighting over a grid of um, cities, I guess, in the Underdark world. Of I don't really care about the D&D aspect of the game. It's kind of like uh, Battle for Rokugan and Legends of the Five Rings. It's The theme is there if you care about it but you can play the game without knowing anything about D&D or whatever which is me i really think it's a cool deck building game it's a deck building area control so um speaking of which i probably should play path of light and shadow i've heard really good things about that one as well another deck building area control i really like el grande i was thinking about actually putting it on my top three but not quite El Grande is another like 1998 actually surprisingly old uh, area majority I would say with that one I don't think you really get removed ever it just kind of the board gets pushed around a little bit but really cool game I really liked it um, when I've played it El Grande um, yeah uh, kind of really kind of card economy driven game you have cards and they have different like numbers if i remember correctly and you can spend the numbers like it's about spending the right numbers at the right time um just kind of uh you guys mentioned Tammany hill really cool lords of hell as you mentioned as well i want to play lords of the lord of the ice garden that's kind of a promising game i've heard criticisms that Everything in the game is open in that one, so it makes it extremely AP-prone because it kind of becomes like uh, area-controlled chess. But that actually sounds very fascinating to me. It's a game that kind of flew under the radar like years ago, and no one even ever talks about it. But I've always wanted to play it, so Lord of the Ice Garden, I actually have it. But yeah, I've someday, never heard of we'll, it. Never even we'll heard of it. it. Yeah. There was this Polish book that it uh, never got translated to English, actually. It's still only in Polish about some guy that travels to different planets or something or dimension or something. So anyway, it's based on that universe and it's this like weird air control that was published and kind of forgotten. <laughs> very low print run as well, I think. But very elaborate. Like It looks really elaborate and complicated air control. All right, we good? So that's it. All right, so that's our show. Hey, we want to thank once again Max Holiday for coming on and, and giving us that interview. We also like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme and Kirsten Adams for designing the logo. You can find Kirsten's artwork at Instagram and Cat Coffee, K A T C O F F E E. Cards and Cubes has been a production of Pod Cauldron. Check out some other podcasts on the pod culture network including 
Bub Club, a horror movie podcast, and Rabble, 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 a comedic look at current events. And we will be back in a couple weeks. Thanks for listening.